on the fan morning show. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Vibes are high. Got the good reading. We know it's to play in the next couple weeks here when we're on TV because you let that play for an extra five to ten <laughs> seconds good. and we're dancing fairly aggressively. <laughs> and that could be on television. It's yeah. John Morosi, MLB Network Insider on our Friday morning. How's it going, John? Outstanding. Uh, good morning from the great state of Michigan. Excited to have the Jays here this weekend. Uh, I'll be at the ball game on Sunday. I would normally be going down to watch Alec Manoa pitch tonight, but I, I've got to manage my, my daughter Elena's coach pitch game oh. today. So Coach Coach John has has some obligations here. So I, I will uh, I'll be tuning in like everyone else to watch Alec uh, in his start later on. Does Coach pitch imply that John Morosi will be on the mound tonight? Now that's a great question. Uh, I would say that the the very much uh, by a wide margin most highly anticipated start tonight in Michigan is going to be in Detroit <laughs> by Mr. Manoa. Maybe not for me uh, if you're on the boat. I, I, yeah, I I pitched uh, one inning uh, at at the last at the last game. I, I typically allow uh, and encourage my other fellow coaches to hop on the mound, uh, and I I kind of just like to. Uh, I don't know. I, I like to be able to watch the swings and offer encouragement and and do that. Uh, I, I did enlist my uh, my eldest daughter uh, to to uh, keep the book such as it was during the last game, which is which was exciting. I said, Gabby, sweetheart, all you have to do. Said, I don't I don't know baseball. I don't really watch baseball. That's okay. I just need you to be able to read off the names of who's batting. That's it. <laughs> so that that's your own that's your only job. And she said, begrudgingly, once once I told that she could have a we're called the Giants so once you could have your own Giants hat and you just you get to just speak really loudly for a while she was on board with that so that we were all set is your slurve better than Jose Barrios's uh, Jose Barrios last night was uh, all-star level my slurve is not at all not at all on that level his, his stuff has been trending in the right direction so I, I think that is a by the way well well done transition and congrats on the hat trick this week as well I wanted to make sure I mentioned that you're uh, always listening but, John thank you yeah yeah no it was it was great I was I was listening to the show and I just I couldn't believe Ayler said that, that you buried the lead that far in the show yeah I scored a hat trick in ball hockey against you know in a tournament of a bunch of legends but but anyways that, <laughs> Back to the Jays. What? I, I was. I said no, no, no. We, we, this, this needs to be earlier in the show, <laughs> off the top of the show. Come on. Well, right? we were with the Stanley Cup champ, and then we followed up with Olympic gold medalist. So I think I had to. I was third on the on the okay. rungs there. That's all right. Uh, okay, so uh, you got a big big day in the state of Michigan uh, yeah. from you and Alec Manoa. Uh, is this the biggest game of the Blue Jays season tonight? It, it feels that way, and I really think that. You know, that momentum can gather uh, in a certain way, and and getting a sweep last night was big. Uh, you know, that, that was tough travel from a standpoint of uh, you now have to play getaway day doubleheader. You win both games late. Uh, I know the White Sox aren't having the best season, but uh, that was a good. That was a really good test of the Jays yesterday. I thought, and, and they pull into a tie now with the Yankees. That's good, and so now it's all there for them. And uh, we saw the, the reports of a pretty encouraging start at Double A. Uh, it seems to me that a lot of the things they were trying to address with him that they've had some success with. And at the end of the day, <laughs> this is the only way to test it. Now, I will say, uh, proud proud Michigander I am, that uh, the, the the Jays have I think rather. 
uh, I think, wisely decided the opponent against whom uh, he will make his return uh, in terms of building confidence. This is not a team that possesses a, an especially deep lineup in any scenario. They don't have a lot of lefties uh, in terms of power. Uh, Kerry Carpenter is, is the one at the moment. Riley Green is out. So this lineup is is really well situated for him to have a, a confident outing. It just is. And I think that, to me, is it has to be part of the calculus here. Uh, obviously, then, then you have Bassett starting on the final day of the first half. Um, there, I think there were a lot of reasons why this made sense. But And the Jays are never going to say it. Uh, but I, I, I do think that if they, were, if they were ending the first half with the Texas Rangers in Texas, we might not see him on the mound tonight, but I think that the, the opponent, the venue, good place to pitch. You'll have uh, half of Windsor there to support him. Uh, I think it's it's a good situation for Alec to come back. Okay, so that's part of the strategy. Uh, it's a lesser lineup, but if he's around, and if he's around every fifth day, he's not going to be sheltered forever right. here. So. Uh, does is this just an opportunity to see in a lower leverage lower leverage it's an important game against a lesser lineup uh, where you can make a decision after that is there is this a permanent thing if he shows himself to be major league ready at least for one night like what do you think the next steps are what do you think the consequences might be if things go wrong like what's the next step based on you know the good and the bad scenario the good scenario being yeah he pitches well and the bad being okay he gets shelled again like in those two scenarios uh does it deliver the same result or does everything hinge on performance tonight yeah no it's a really important question justin i i I think he's i think he's back to stay and and i i hesitate to use the words for good because there's always obviously a chance that uh, he could go back down if there needs to be a, an adjustment to, to what we see tonight. But I, I don't think the Jays would have brought him up with the idea that this is just a, a one-game look. Um, th- this to me is because they believe that he has checked off a number of the, the important milestones. And, and I think, too, you are trying to build his confidence and and we all have to take a step back and realize that every day that goes by that he's not in the big leagues is is a hard day for him because he's someone that thrives on that uh, that presence and and the confidence that comes with being a major league pitcher i mean not for nothing at this time a year ago he was an all-star so I, i i do think that that this just if he's able to end the first half as a major league pitcher and have that be his identity as he goes into the break, that's going to mean something for him. Uh, I really believe that, uh, that for all that he's gone through the ups and downs this first half. So I, I I believe that this this move was made with the idea of him being a permanent member of the rotation. The other thing I would say is that. In terms of the rest given to the the rest of the rotation, in terms of days of rest in between starts, you know, having a a locked in fifth starter, if that's how we're looking at him now, it, it'll I believe help you get a better version of Kikuchi because you'll you'll more often be able to get him an extra day of rest. As it, as it is now, you're you're very rarely able to schedule in more rest because you're you're trying to 
in, in this way. Every available starter makes every available start, and then you, you use the bullpen game when you have to. That's a hard way to go about things. There's a reason why <laughs> I don't know the last time that we saw a team that was going with a four-man rotation for an extended period of time make the playoffs. It just doesn't happen very often. And so I, I think that getting a better Manoa will get you a better version of the other four starters, too, and as opposed to having to rely on a bullpen game and compromising the bullpen, et cetera. So for me, this is, this is tonight about him for a lot of us that are watching this game, but there is also something in this for everybody else, and that is that the, the better he pitches, the better rested, I believe, the rest of the Jays' rotation is going to be in the second half. Yeah, Jeff Blair was on us yesterday, uh, with us yesterday, excuse me, and mentioned that there might have been some pressure from the starting rotation itself to get this guy back because they might yep. have been running out of gas just a little bit or needing that fifth starter and not being able to run a four-man rotation like it just was not going to set up well for after the All-Star break, and that might be part of the reason why Manoa is back when he is. Uh, it wasn't just like, uh, hey, go away for a month. It wasn't just like, hey, go rest for a month. Go kick your feet up it was hey let's work let's find something let's make improvements did we learn anything about the absence did we learn about something he was doing wrong did we learn about something that was mechanical that wasn't working do we know what might be different or what they were working on in the lead up to tonight yeah it's a really important question justin and and, and i think the interesting part of it is they were purposefully a little bit vague about exactly what went into alex um, changes and in what he had to do in Dunedin, uh, I, I'd be I'd be curious just to see uh, how much Alec himself will reveal after the start tonight about what changed in his routine. Everything from on the field, off the field. Uh, again, how much he'll share is certainly his prerogative. Uh, but I, I I would imagine that we're all going to be curious about what what changes were made. And and I think that, um, and, and you can both probably appreciate this, we all can, as, as just as humans. When, when you get a shock to your system on this level, like he went through when he was sent down after struggling to that extent, you start as a person to say, okay, well, what, like, what, what flotation device can I cling to right now that, that will keep me afloat here? What, what do I know to be part of my identity and, and what I'm doing and who I am? And I think that there was probably a, a fairly detailed assessment of what that looked like in terms of his routine. Um, and I, I would imagine they've got tremendous high-performance coaches there that I'm sure can work on the mental side of the game as well and how, how you process that that shock to your system and, and get back on the mound. Uh, I'd be surprised if that wasn't part of uh, the, the the comeback because I think that is such a standard part and it should be of, of athletes and, and care and, and maintenance these days. So I, I think that to me is, is a really interesting part of, of what we see in him on the mound. Uh, does the delivery look different? Um, to me, this is one of those great cases where we're just going to have to watch. We're going to have to observe uh, tonight just to see how he looks. And, and you could look at maybe the split screen of, of how he looked in April and May to what he's looking like now. I, I, I do think that we're going to have to observe for ourselves and then and then hear what he has to say in terms of what he's willing to share about what changes he made because I, I imagine that there were a lot of changes off the field uh, just in terms of his preparation and, and getting ready for his start because this is one of those things where – 
failure can sometimes be be a blessing in its own way that it forces you to reevaluate a lot of things that makes you that make you better in the end and and that might be a part of the story tonight and the fun part about sports and the fun part about life is that we're not going to know until we we all have a chance to watch and pitch tonight yeah, all eyes on Alec Manoa tonight, and uh, he's a confident guy, and he's got to come in with a lot of confidence that he uh, has found what he needed to in his month off from the big leagues, and we're looking forward to seeing that. I'm talking to John Morosi, MLB Network Insider. So you posted a story last night, 12, 30 a.m., just grinding away, John, uh, why the Angels are unlikely to trade Otani. Now, the Angels in general are in a bit of a tough spot, as we know, but uh, a good a good topic to discuss nonetheless about just I guess the, the the future of Otani and how it seemed like things were trending one way, but maybe not anymore. Right, uh, Ailish, it's it's been an amazing story for the Angels this year because, to your point, they had a pretty solid start. If you look back, just. 15 games ago, they were in a playoff spot, fourth best record in the American League, and now, my goodness, it's all changed. Trout mm-hmm. is on the IL. Uh, even Otani had a had a blister in his last start. Uh, they've gone four and eleven in those 15 games, which is the worst record in the AL, AL over that span. And now the questions are being asked: What does it mean for Otani's immediate future? And uh, I spoke with a number of people around the industry yesterday, um, and, and trying to, to divine exactly what the Angels are doing at the moment. And and the belief is that it would still be a, a pretty significant surprise to see him dealt uh, this month. Um, the Angels have not have not come out in the last couple of days and again explicitly said he's not going anywhere. Uh, Perry Manazian, their GM, said last month uh, in fairly strong terms. I mean, he didn't necessarily rule it out entirely that, that Shohei would, would likely not be dealt this month unless things totally unravel. Things are close to totally unraveling, but, but the point that I made in the, in the column is that this is not just a, a normal, quote-unquote, normal superstar situation like you Darvish or, or Manny Machado in recent years when the Dodgers traded for both of them when they were rental players. It, Shoei is different. Shoei's got a chance to, to hit. Right now he's on pace for 56 home runs. And so if you're the Angels and, and you need some, some positivity here as an organization, there are reasons to keep him beyond just maximizing your asset or trying to make the playoffs this year. Um, I think that if you trade him, you lose any chance you had of signing him long-term. If you trade him and then he goes on to hit 60 home runs in someone else's uniform, what's that going to look like for everybody in an Angels uh, organization? I mean, how how empty would that feeling be? So um, in a vacuum, you probably would trade him. But this is not a vacuum. Uh, this is uh, Shohei Otani. And I, I think that given where he's at right now, all that he's meant to the organization, Ailish, I just I, I have a hard time imagining, and a lot of people in the industry have a hard time imagining uh, that he's going to be dealt. And yet I would also point out that the organization has not come out definitively in the last 48 hours and said, yeah, just to confirm, he's still not going anywhere. Uh, we haven't heard that yet. So um, if they lose 10 in a row, <laughs> maybe we reevaluate a little bit, but I would still be very surprised if he's in a different uniform by August 1st. Uh, let's go from one AL MVP to another. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays pulled even with the New York Yankees, who got just stomped by the Baltimore Orioles last night. Uh, and Aaron Judge, of course, has been dealing with this issue. There's a lot of different reporting. It seems like there's a different 
news nugget every day uh, with regard to that toe injury. What's actually going on with Aaron Judge? And are we talking about, like, not just this season, but it affecting him for multiple years in his career? What's going on with Aaron Judge? Well, it, it is the most closely watched toe in American sports right now. <laughs> and uh, that, 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 is, that, that we know for sure. Um, but you're right. There have been different indications that this, this could affect him beyond the end of this year. And, and obviously, uh, uh, I, I, am, I am not the, the doctor in our household. That would be my wife, and so maybe I'll try to get her on the phone to, to, uh, to, to think about that before the segment's over. But um, I, I, I think right now with Judge, I, I spoke with a source yesterday who said that, that in the midst of all the, the gloomy prognostications, that, that, there's a, that there is at least a positive trend line here, that they believe that he'll come back probably at some point in time in the next month and make an impact on the Yankees in the second half is, does that mean that he's immediately back to being the player that he was? Uh, no one knows that for sure at the moment, especially when it's your, when it is your big toe and, and you as one of the strongest humans to play the game of baseball, uh, create more torque and force than just about anybody else. When you're batting, um, what does that do to the kinetic chain? How does that impact your toe? If you have a torn ligament there still, and and it's not necessarily going to get fixed anytime in the in the immediate term, um, it, it's an open question. There's a ton of uncertainty right now for the Yankees, and that's where, as the Jays look at this division, uh, the, the Orioles are way better now than they were a year ago. We we saw that again last night uh, with their emphatic defeat of of the Yankees. Um, but I, I think that the Yankees are a lesser team now than they were a year ago. They just are for a number of reasons. Uh, and Judge and his the, the question about his availability is part of it. Again, I, I, I tend to think, and there's no timetable on this yet, but I, I was told that there are positive trends and that there's a lot of optimism that he's going to come back at some point in the next month. Don't know when exactly, but that was what I was told yesterday. So I, I, I would say we'll, we'll look for him to return, but how well he he hits, how how powerful that swing will be off of a, a still wounded big toe, those are a lot of questions right now that, that we just don't have the answers to. Time with John Morosi, our MLB Network Insider. Okay, so a couple days away from the All-Star break, from the Home Run Derby. I assume you don't take a break at all because you never stop working. But what's your favorite part of this upcoming stretch where it's a little bit different in the baseball world? Sure, no, it's a, it's a great question. I, I love that it is that it is the time of the North American sports calendar when we really devote uh, a lot of attention to baseball. Baseball has the stage to itself for, for a period of time. Uh, NFL training camps haven't opened yet. It's, it's, it's sort of our time as a sport to, to shine. Uh, great city, obviously, hosting it in Seattle. Um, it, it's going to be special, I think, to see Julio Rodriguez in the Home Run Derby. I'm glad that George Kirby and Julio were added to the All-Star roster, in addition to Luis Castillo. So I, I think you'll see a, a real, uh, really strong vibe overall in Seattle. I like the draft is part of it now from a standpoint of the marketing. The Futures game has become, uh, I think, an even more important spectacle in, in recent years as well. So I think MLB, the way they've, they've organized the All-Star Week, they've done a great job of, of making it into a, a really big event. 
and I'm, I'm excited for everybody to, to have that experience in Seattle. Uh, I, you know, to have maybe all the all the Mariner legends there. I'll, I'll say this: very few cities and very few uh, sports communities have as many legends as Seattle does. When you think about Griffey and Ichiro and Edgar, I mean, this is a, a, a franchise that has had some pretty big, really big stars over time. Uh, Felix Hernandez as well. So I'm excited. It, it's going to be a great event. Uh, beautiful weather usually in Seattle this time of year. A lot of Canadian fans hopefully coming down from, from the lower mainland, which will be special. Uh, so it, it should be a great spectacle all, all the way around. Does Vladdy get the home run crown or what? Or the chain, so, actually. I saw it's a chain. It's nice. Yeah, the, the, the chain. I love it. <laughs> I, I think that for me, um, my my pick, I, I'm going to go with uh, Randy Arozarena this year. I, I just think that he, Randy, is one of these players who just loves the big stage. And no matter what he's doing, he is, uh, whether it's the World Baseball Classic postseason, uh, he loves moments like this. So I've got Randy Arozarena as the Home Run Derby champion for 2023. All right, we'll let it be. We'll let it be. Uh, looking, hopefully, that Vladdy gets, uh, maybe he finds something and can continue getting some home runs and maybe some here when he comes back at Rogers Center. Uh, we'll pitch well tonight. Uh, we'll be looking for your line <laughs> on the books, uh, maybe over or under 3Ks. That seems high, but you win. Oh, no, uh, <laughs> yeah. No Ks. It's my goal. I hope. I hope for Alec that he has the, the Alec has many more strikeouts than I do. I like that uh, tonight. Uh, I, I'm I'm just trying to, and you know, it's like it, there's pressure in that. Like you, you gotta you gotta get it in the zone. Mm-hmm. Like, like, and I've I've been fortunate so far. Let's hope I keep it going. That in, at least in the innings that I've created, there have been no strikeout plus crying combinations that, that <laughs> I've been responsible for. That that is what you never want to have uh, happen on, on your watch. Last year on the team, uh, the, the the dad who was coaching the team. There were a couple times that he struck out his own daughter and she cried. And that's just like, that's the worst. Yeah, you don't want to see that. So I will be, that will be my goal for Elena to not be struck out by dad tonight. Okay, we'll make sure we're cheering that on as well. I uh, appreciate you, you coming you. on this morning, John. We'll chat with you next week. Thanks. All the best. Have a great weekend. Thanks so much. It's John Morosi, MLB Network insider and pitcher in his daughter's little league. I didn't really get to that, but whatever league it is. Pitch coach. Pitch coach. You know things have gone poorly in Michigan if John Morosi winds up with more strikeouts than Alec Manoa tonight. That's exactly, we need to parlay that. Two different diamonds in a row. Morosi under strikeouts, Manoa over strikeouts. That's your wake and rake today. (laughs) (laughs) We might have to discuss Randy Rosarena in the wake and rake a little bit right now. I'm seeing plus 1,000 for John Morosi's pick to win the home run derby. Just a thought. Put that in there for the end of the show. Just a thought it is. It's marked down. Is uh, John Morosi knows best. Um, okay. I, I don't know if you've seen, like, let's do something to you. I'm brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. This uh, Philip Zadina sitch. Philip Zadina. It's a sitch. It's a sitch situation. Uh, former sixth overall draft pick to Detroit in 2018 has done something you don't see very often. He's 23 years old. He cleared waivers this week, was put on unconditional waivers for a mutual contract termination. He has two seasons remaining on his three-year contract and has decided that he's going to forego getting paid to go into unrestricted free agency and give up $4.56 million in salary the next two seasons to bet on himself to get an even bigger payday to get out of Detroit. As a young kid with a lot of money that you can just grab in the next two years, it is very unprecedented. Um... Yeah, he 
I, I just, I don't, you don't see that often. Yeah, I got to be honest. I kind of respect the move uh, mm. because, I mean, I think it's foolish. I'll be honest. Uh, this guy has 28 goals and 68 points in 190 NHL games. Former six overall pick five years ago has played in parts of five seasons, has basically done nothing in the National Hockey League, but makes close to $5 million, what you said, 4.6? Yep, four, he's going to miss out on $4.56 million. Uh, it's really hard to make $4.5 million in the NHL nowadays. Like, you have to be, uh, I don't know, but, like, maybe the top top third of the league, at least. Maybe, maybe 25% yeah. actually gets paid that much money. It's a lot of money for a guy who's done, as I mentioned, nothing in the NHL. But I guess he figures he's got more to... More to offer. He's got more opportunity. He's He doesn't like being a part of Steve Eiserman and Derek Lalonde's system, I suppose. Like, this is a pretty big move for a guy who's mm-hmm. definitely not going to be playing for more than $4.5 million next year. But if he thinks he's got more to prove, if he just wants a bigger role, if he just doesn't like the situation he's in, well, I guess he's getting himself out of it. Sometimes it's not all about money. It's That's correct. Um, apparently, there's already some teams looking to acquire his services. So it sounds like he... He's Leafs? at least chatted with somebody. His Take agent. A flyer Leafs? Well, for how much money? They don't have much money floating Shoot, around it. here. They got a couple million dollars. You just to told me it. how much he's a bust, so I'm not really fired up about that. But again, it's the context. It's what you're paid. That's the NHL nowadays. At 4.5, it's a disaster. At one, it's a, maybe a good bounce back bet. I'm trying to think of the last bet on yourself. Maybe not bet on yourself. Just like fresh. Fred Van Vliet. <sighs> well, that's different. <laughs> This guy was six overall draft pick. Fred Van Vliet was not drafted. Yeah. We will talk to, ooh, good good segue to tee up our guest at the end of the show. We will chat with Ron Baker, who played four years at Wichita State with Fred Van Vliet, all four years together, was in the Elite Eight, also made the Final Four. Um, We can get the, what was Fred like as a college kid? Did he always know that he was going to sign a $130 million deal as an NBA player? He also has a unique relationship with newest Raptor Grady Dick, who grew up in Wichita, used to train with Baker when he was a kid, and then Grady Dick mentioned him in his uh, introductory press conference about how much he influenced him. So perfect, just Daniele uncovers these gems. Eureka moment from Daniele. Boom, let's get this guy on the show. He's on the show the next day. Ron Baker uh, at 8.30 joining us. Buck Martinez at 8 o'clock. As we mentioned, he was the manager of the Blue Jays when Roy Halladay was demoted to the minors, eventually returned to the big leagues. Similar storyline going on in Michigan tonight with Alec Manoa. And uh, we'll take a break because we got Vivek Jacob joining us at uh, Raptors.com and CBC Sports. He was in attendance for the Jakob Pertle and McDaniels press conference yesterday. We'll go through that. The first slash second slash third impressions of Jakob Pertle and the newest faces of the Toronto Raptors and What's going on at Wimbledon? Because there's a couple of Canadians that made it three yesterday. Do they have a chance? And just quickly, mm-hmm. four and a half for Zadina over two years. Yeah, I said that. Okay, sorry, I was saying four. I was saying not on every a per year. year. Basis, no, no, no. I was like, there's no. He's chance. foregoing that in the next okay. two seasons. Okay, yeah, that's a big difference. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying. All right, Vivek Jacob next. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on the Fan Morning Show. Wow, that was timed. <laughs> that's not going to be good for the podcast audience, but that's okay. Oh, I did not good. mean to do that. Sports 590 The Fan, Fan Morning Show, Justin and Ailish. Fun times with John Morosi. Big night for Alec Manoa. Tarot cards are looking fondly 
on the big Puma. We shall see what happens in what we are calling the biggest Blue Jays start ever of the season. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, let's pivot to the Raptors and maybe a little tennis because Wimbledon's ongoing and bring in our next guest, Vivek Jacob, writer for Raptors.com and CBC Sports. Good morning, Vivek. Good morning. How are you guys doing? What's up, Big V? Uh, Yeah, we're doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Good, good. Uh, okay, I got so on, I got Wimbledon on. Go to I life. Got no complaints. Yeah. I lo- lo- yeah, I like when Big V gets the tennis going and it's like big event. And he's, and he's up at our he's hours. He's tweeting. Yeah, he's nice. tweeting when we're up. It's it's just there's something there's comforting about that. There's another human out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you were in attendance for uh, the Pirtle and McDaniel's press conferences on Thursday. Pirtle, of course, sticking around on a four-year deal worth twenty million dollars. Did you learn anything about uh, Jakob Pirtle yesterday? Uh, I learned that he has a, conf- a lot of confidence in this team, even without Fred VanVleet. How much Fred factored into his own free agency and what that kind of process looked like. And he mentioned that he kind of go and forth with Fred and uh, looking at the different options and obviously just went ahead and signed with the Raptors anyway. And I thought personally, uh, I would have, you know, waited to see what was happening and then maybe gone elsewhere. Uh, but it shows the faith that he has in this team, even uh, with Fred out of the mix. And we'll see what it looks like uh, with Schroeder coming in and obviously uh, McDaniels as well. But uh, it's hard not to see uh, the Raptors being slightly worse without Fred. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely hard to spin that. I was going to ask you if the order of go mattered, because Mm -hmm. if you're watching it in real time, uh, that fateful Friday night, I guess it was a week ago today, uh, Pirtle gets that deal done, not immediately, but the Pirtle deal gets done shortly after six, and we're waiting for Fred Van Vliet, and it happens, uh, I don't know if it was an hour after, but a couple minutes after for sure, there was some time and space between it. Uh, obviously these things are connected. Um, but again, Pirtle going ahead anyway and signing this deal, did the order of go matter or everyone knows what's going on at that point. And it was just Pirtle making the decision that he wanted to be with his team. Yeah, I, honestly, I think he's a pretty straightforward guy. He kind of likes uh, a lot of simplicity in his life. So I'm not surprised that he just wanted to avoid any kind of complication. And I think, uh, again, he just saw this as the best fit for him. Um, obviously he also had, 80 million reasons to do it uh, and that helps but I think uh, I think he just liked the fit and I think obviously he's got a great relationship with Pascal Siakam we'll see what happens there but uh, I think for now um, he seems sold on what the Raptors have going on going forward uh, and you know I, I guess it's one of those situations too where it's like hey if this, this is the most money you're getting you take it now and you worry about whatever comes later later is 80 million reasons the right amount of money to be giving Jakob Pertl when you try to evaluate the next four years? I think the way the NBA uh, salaries are headed, um, they're going to continue to increase. Obviously, to see the spike that we saw uh, in 2016 that brought over Kevin Durant. Uh, to the Golden State Warriors, but they have agreed to a cap smoothing, so it's going to be a 10% increase each year. So I think this deal will look better and better over time. Um, the question, of course, now is oh, what the team will look like in a couple of years. But uh, I think for now, uh, that deal makes a lot of sense for someone who, you know, somewhere he's somewhere in that conversation of being a top 10 center in the league. 
Okay, so you mentioned it, the realities of Fred leaving. It's almost impossible to say that they're going to be better next year than they were uh, this following year, which was an immense disappointment and not progression in any sense of the word. Um, but I do wonder about, you know, how hard the Raptors actually pushed. Uh, is there reason to worry or to be to question uh, how much they really were committed to bringing him back? I mean, they would have had to spend into the luxury tax to do so. I think if all things were equal, they would have wanted to. But the latest report or one of the latest reports on the move was that, yeah, Fred got that third year from Houston or the option for a third year from Houston. And Toronto was like, okay, we can't do better than that. Um, not that there's like a silver lining here, but if you're thinking, hey, this team does have to regroup, maybe this is the best thing. But in their hearts, do maybe Masai and Bobby believe that's the best thing and they can make moves that are a little bit more geared towards tearing down and rebuilding something that is not just the remnants of 2019? Yeah, I, I think in their hearts, there was an amount they just weren't willing to go past. I, I don't think this is necessarily where they wanted to be. At the trade deadline, they uh, that could bring back all of Jakob Pertl, Grant Jr., and Fred Van Vliet. And obviously, they were successful with Pertl. Gary, Gary opted in, um, and they missed out on Fred. And so I, I don't think this is the ideal scenario. I think they were trying to kick down the line. Um, and make some decisions later or have these guys committed to contracts where then you at least have more leverage in trade talks and you're able to recoup some assets uh, if things go the other way. Now, you know, at best, uh, you're looking at working out some kind of sign and trade where you get something back from Houston, um, but you're not going to get as much as you would in a regular trade. And so um, I definitely think they fumbled the bag on that one. Um, I don't think they saw the Houston Rockets as a significant threat uh, around the trade deadline. And, you know, coming in, everyone was focused on the Rockets going after James Harden. And so obviously that didn't pan out. So I, I think that was a misread on their part. Uh, and now they have to rebound. Uh, situation uh, has changed and they have to find a way uh, to move on from here. V, wherever you're standing currently, don't move a muscle because we are coming in and out of uh, of service. But this, stay, stand, don't move, don't breathe. Okay. Just, right. <laughs> just stand still. <laughs> it sounded good. Uh, we were like, should we connect? We should not reconnect. It's all, all good. Um, so Fred um, out the door, and they've had a replacement lined up right away. I guess um, within an hour of Fred leaving, Dennis Schroeder signs. Um, What's the what's the replacement of of him? Obviously, we we I think it's pretty easily stated that he's not going to be as good as Fred VanVleet, but uh, someone that we're going to learn a little bit about. And what can you tell us about him? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing I'd say is uh, he's a pretty solid defender. I think we saw that in the playoffs as well. Uh, he has a solid reputation on that end of the floor. Um, I think he is maybe a, a bit more uh, of a floor general uh, than Fred. And I, I think the big loss is the three-point shooting. You're not going to expect, uh, you know, those crazy nights from Fred where you know he's hitting six, seven threes in a game. So I, I think that's where you probably feel the biggest loss. Um, but I think Schroeder is a solid player um, at the mid-level uh, exception. I think it's it's decent money to spend on him. And again, it's a short-term contract, so you're going to see what happens. And uh, I don't expect him to start. Uh, I think the starting lineup, as it, as presented with the roster as is, will be, you know, Scotty Barnes, Gary Trent Jr., OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, and Yaka Perto, and then Schroeder comes in to lead uh, that bench unit. And so I think that's a role he's perfectly uh, capable of and suited for.
So tonight, the Toronto Raptors make their Summer League campaign uh, official, their debut tonight, and that means Grady Dick will have his opportunity to make his uh, Raptors legacy start. Um, What do we look for in a Summer League debut from a rookie? Um, Obviously, like what his expectations will be this season and if we we are going to see Victor Wembanyama also make his debut later tonight, I think a little bit of a different anticipation level. But Raptors get to see uh, their young pick uh, in his first opportunity in the jersey. Yeah, I think you know the big thing with summer league is all the young guys get plenty of freedom, and so I think you're going to see Grady Dick with an opportunity to get lots of shots up and really you know work at whatever he's trying to work at to get to prove he's at the NBA level. Um, and then we'll get to see uh, some of his defensive acumen as well. The, the reports uh, from the people who have watched him uh, growing up and in college that seem to be that you know he's a solid team defender, but uh, you know the on-ball stuff is what needs work. And so those are the types of things that we're going to be able to see. Um, and then obviously. Uh, part of why you can't take too much away from summer league is once you come to training camp and uh, the preseason and the regular season, that's when, you know, your role kind of gets carved out. And so summer league is where everyone's kind of free and has a real opportunity to showcase what they can do. Uh, and so, yeah, look forward to plenty of threes going up from Grady Dick. <laughs> Maybe plenty of TikToks as well. Uh, what do you think <laughs> of just his his young, vibrant energy, very uh, Gen, a Gen Z uh, young kid that's mm-hmm. going to be uh, bringing maybe some positive energy to this locker room that's been questioned as of late? Yeah, he's going to get along great with Scotty Barnes, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I think they've already hit it off, and uh, I think – those are the changes that uh, this team has been looking for ever since uh, they fired Nick Nurse and just completely looking to reset the vibes uh, and, and change things up. And so I think his going personality uh, and, you know, even as a teammate, uh, his coach, Bill Self, uh, and he said that, you know, Grady is the type of guy that will always be there for his teammates, is always uplifting and, you know, in a down moment, he, he doesn't, you know, take it too casually, but he knows how to kind of lighten the mood and, you know, make sure guys aren't too themselves. Don't move a muscle, V. You're, you're fading again for a second there. Uh, we're going to try to power through. Uh, okay, so Pascal Siakam. Uh, of course, there's a little smoke there. I don't know how much the fire is actually burning. I don't know if there's actually really a suitor out there that can satisfy any of the needs of Masai Ujiri and company. Uh, but the discussion is the discussion, and when there is smoke... Generally, there is fire. What do you make of all the reports post Fred's decision about Pascal's potential future exit? Yeah, I think there's a lot of back and forth going on. I think when you look at the the report that initially came out that Pascal Siakam uh, would not sign an extension with any team that he was traded to, I think that was uh, a leverage play on his part, maybe hearing some of the trade rumors and saying, hey, (laughs) <laughs> you know, I get a pretty big extension if I stay in Toronto. I, I've been in Toronto uh, this whole time, and this is where I want to be. And so maybe he's fighting against that a little bit. And I think the Raptors are just doing their due diligence and knowing that, uh, you know, with Fred gone, maybe there is an easier pivot uh, if they can get the right offer for Pascal Siakam. And, you know, obviously that's a big extension coming in. Uh, and if you're not really willing to go there. You, now is the time. Now is the time to get value for him. Uh, obviously, he's uh, a two-time All-NBA, and I, I think he is someone that would be highly coveted 
uh, by a lot of teams. And so it's just a question of, you know, creating that bidding war to get a serious return for him. So when Nick Nurse stepped out the door, um, we kind of thought that maybe he wouldn't be Team Canada's head coach uh, for Canada basketball, but now it's official. Uh, was that inevitable to you, or did you think there'd be a way to keep that relationship, even though he was out of Canada? You know, I, I really hope that there was a way to at least maintain it through the FIBA World Cup, and and then maybe you look beyond that. I, I think that's the disappointing part, the fact that you've got uh, this huge tournament in a month and a half, um, and you could have maybe made it through this summer and then figured things out from there. Uh, I would have liked to see him coach here because he's been a part of this journey the last few years. He's been a huge part of getting the commitments uh, for the three years since uh, Tokyo. Uh, and so I think uh, I would have liked to see him coach here. And then you look for a new one. We'll see, uh, you know, how quickly Jordy Fernandez can get them in line and get the commitments again. Uh, the rest of the way here, and who knows? Uh, maybe there, there's some guys who weren't willing to commit, would, who would be great additions to the team. Uh, that now, you know, look at a different coach and say, "Hey, I want to be a part of this now." Vivek Jacob of Raptors.com and CBC Sports uh, on the line with us now. Okay, let's shift gears to Wimbledon uh, just a little bit. Uh, good or bad, positive or negative? What is the biggest story in Canadian tennis right now? The biggest story in Canadian tennis, I mean, I, I think it has to be Milos Raonic for now because of the comments he made uh, after his loss and that that might be the last time he'd be uh, at Wimbledon. Uh, we'll have to wait for official confirmation. Obviously, he's had an incredible career um, to have reached a Grand Slam final. Um, and I think at least he gets to go out on his own terms. I'm sure that's what he's been working towards these last couple of years, as opposed to just, you know, completely uh, fading into the back and, and just saying goodbye from afar. I think to at least be able to be out on the court is a positive, but, you know, I think when you look at the likes of Denis Shapovalov and Felix Auger-Aliasim and Bianca Andreescu and Leila Fernandez, uh, they can all talk about how much of an inspiration that uh, Milos has been. And so I think that is for sure the biggest story. Uh, the thing uh, that maybe, you know, is coming up on us is that Denis Shapovalov, with the way the draw has broken, has a real shot at the quarterfinals. Uh, you know, Kasper Ruud was in his section. Kasper Ruud, the, uh, the four seed, is out. Um, and then you, you look at uh, Taylor Fritz uh, being out of the way as well. So I think uh, he's got a potential shot uh, at the quarterfinals here. And uh, obviously, uh, that would be a nice return for him, return to form. Yeah, Chapo and Bianca both victorious yesterday. Um, on the women's side, a tough loss for Layla. That was a, a really hard-fought mm. battle. I love watching her play. She's a, she's a, she's a joy, but she's out. But uh, how does Bianca Bianca's future look in this tournament? Does she have a good draw for the next round? Yeah, I, I think it's sort of one match at a time with Bianca just because she's still, I think, getting familiar with grass courts and uh her movement on it um i think i think she has the style for it i, I think you know when i think of her i, I think of anzibor and anzibor is someone who mixes up it mixes it up a ton uh and, and i think bianca uh, is in that sort of same vein and i think it's just a question of really you know coming under uh, coming to understand the grass courts and uh getting comfortable with her movement uh on the grass 
and you know, I think when you have that movement in the bag, it's such a huge advantage. I think, uh, you know, even on the men's side, when Andy Murray talks about, hey, the only person that's got more experience than me here is, is Novak Djokovic, and that, that experience on grass specifically is so huge. And that's where I think Bianca just hasn't had enough matches uh, on grass in particular. Uh, but, you know, when she's playing her best, I, I still have a lot of faith in her. I think both Bianca and Layla, I think the, their main issue right now is uh, they're down in the rankings. Obviously, Layla far below uh, Bianca currently, but they're so far down in the rankings that they keep getting these tough matchups early in tournaments. And so it's just tough. And so uh, the biggest thing for them is working their way up the rankings where they can maybe get a bit more of a favorable draw. Uh, and, you know, we, hopefully we can see them in the second week of a Grand Slam. What's your concern level when it comes to Felix? It's pretty high. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Uh, this, uh, you look at the way last year ended uh, to win three tournaments in a row to lead Canada to its first Davis Cup uh, and look so impressive. There was the Labour Cup where he beat Novak Djokovic. Uh, everything was looking up for him. And so for this season to go as it's gone, obviously very disappointing results in the Grand Slams. Um, uh, he's had, uh, he's been a bit unlucky with, you know, he had the sickness and the injury uh, at the French Open, but overall, you know, th- this has been a bit of a reset uh, for him. And, uh, you know, hopefully there's some lessons for him to take, but uh, at the same time, there, there are players right at the start of the year, you know, he, he was saying that, hey, I put myself in a position to be, you know, in the top eight, to have these high seeds, to uh, be, to get these first round, second round, third round matchups against players that I'm supposed to beat, but he hasn't beaten them. Uh, and so my concern level is definitely high at the moment. You- Oh, oh, go ahead. Oh, Sorry. No, go no, ahead. no, you go. go. No, no. I was just going to just gonna say. We both want to talk so badly. Yeah, just, you know, state of Canadian tennis with us. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I miss you guys too. These, We're fighting over you. <laughs> these guys are, uh, and guys and girls, a reminder how young they are. Like mm-hmm. Felix turning 23 this summer. Uh, Layla's mm-hmm. still very, very young. Mm-hmm. Even Bianca, very, very young, despite how accomplished she is already. Uh, but yeah, uh, a bit of an interesting time in Canadian tennis. Hopefully this summer can age well. Uh, Big V. You've been aging well for quite some time here. Uh, and this interview has aged well as well because your phone line seems to be perfect. But we got to let you go. Uh, it was fun chatting, fun catching up. Uh, and I like when we can double dip, hit a couple sports with you. So thanks for coming on. Let's do this again soon. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. That's Vivek Jacob of Raptors.com and CBC Sports. Chapo's third round, 10, 10 a.m. I hope there's no more rain delays because Neil in Newfoundland has been struggling to get the picks in because he's, like, considering all factors. And He's got other things going on. Chapo is at 10, 10 a.m. Uh, he did nail the Tommy Paul pick, unfortunately, yes. over Milos roundage. Just barely, though. I think yes. the spread was three and a half, and it was a four-game, if you want to call it that, victory over Milos Raonic, uh, who, yeah, might that be saying That was a goodbye. good story for a little bit. I got to be honest. He exited my consciousness for a while. I, I did not expect the retirement tour for Milos Raonic, but if it was the end, uh, at least he got back to Wimbledon. That's very, very cool. Bianca is set to start at 7.55 a.m., which is in 42 seconds. There you go. We'll That's, see if it starts on time. That would be imminent. 42 seconds. Ca- Get this, your bets in. Honestly, it's one of the, like, we, we complain about, like, hockey games starting on time no, or, like, 7, 10 or whatever. A tennis game is, if match has never started I on cannot, time. Ca- I cannot follow when tennis matches are supposed to start. I just turn on the TV, and if there's something on, someone who interests me, 
I'll watch it, but like it is hard to it's hard to keep track of when these games are start or these matches are starting. So sometime soon it should start. Uh, Bianca in her third round, um, and of course we've got oh sorry her second round and then Chapo in his third round today. So the Canadians still some opportunity to make some wave here at Wimbledon. We've got Buck Martinez joining us after the break. Former MLB catcher and manager and current Sportsnet analyst had some time with Roy Halladay when he was demoted to the minors, made his return to the big leagues. And he went on to have a Hall of Fame career. So is that what we're seeing tonight with Alec Manoa? Let's spin the story as much as we can. Buck Martinez. And then Ron Baker will wrap up our Friday and our final morning show for the next two weeks. As we mentioned, we're off to the drive home show for the next two weeks. So you can catch us next week from 5 to 7 p.m. And the week after 3 to 5 p.m. We will make sure we remind you one more time and then you'll have... Our guys, Brent Gunning and Sam McKee, filling in for the next two weeks in the morning while we get some rest and come back refreshed in a couple weeks. Our buddy, Buck Martinez, after the break.